Sorry to break up. Conversation. Like always though, please remember where you were at in that conversation and continue it after the service. We value that. That's why we do that part of the service. It's not just a filler. It's, it's so, um, so you can connect um, with people who are here. Welcome to Providence Road. My name is Jeremy. I am one of the pastors here at the church, and we are really glad that you're here with us this morning, especially if you're a guest with us. Uh, we're honored that you would choose to spend your Sunday morning worshiping with us. I will say in response to those announcements, guys, uh, Pumpkin Palooza, we got to get after it, okay? Like somebody, let's just do something, okay? Um, well, they're, they're kicking us in that area. Come on, let's, let's get going. Um, think of something. I'm not good at thinking of those things, so think of something. Um, I do want to say um, what a great job uh, Melinda Dennis did leading us in worship this morning. Um, give Melinda a hand for that. Um, I want to just brag on Melinda for a little bit. She is a, uh, she's a wife. She's a mom. She's actually a nurse. Um, she, she, she doesn't get paid to do what she did today. She's great at leading worship, though. And so uh, let that be an encouragement to you if you have a gift you want to use your gift, especially as it relates to, to worship and arts, please talk to Chris Valencia, um, who's playing um, electric guitar over here. I think that's the name of that instrument, right, Chris? I know it's not the drums, but I think that's the electric guitar. Um, but so uh, talk to Chris or talk to me um, afterwards, and we will get you connected. Um, and yeah, Melinda steps in, serves us in this way, and does a great job leading us in worship. So thank you, Melinda, for doing that. Um, let's jump into the text, then we'll pray. We're starting Philippians chapter 1, continuing on in our series, walking through this book. Verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you. You are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of, your, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Chapter 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Let's pray. Father, I thank you um, for just creating a space for us to be able to gather and, and focus on you and honor you and worship you. And I pray that you are the focus of this morning, that you have been the focus of this morning, that you will continue to be the focus of this morning, and that Jesus is lifted up as hero in this place. So I pray every week, and I pray that happens again today. I just feel compelled to pray right now just for, pe for people who are hurting around the world. It just seems like there's a lot in the news right now of people hurting and natural disasters and all sorts of things. So I just pray for people who are hurting I pray that your presence would be near to them and they would feel your presence. I also want to pray for Union Church, our church plant in Auburn, Alabama. Um, They're gathering tonight, um, one of their first public gatherings. So I pray for Chris and Kara Jane Brister and all that they're doing in Auburn and that you would 
um, just give them um, mercy and grace as they lead uh, that small uh, church right now who, and, and look to expand your kingdom there in the Auburn area. Father, we love you, and I pray that you change your hearts and our minds and change the way we would live as a result of this time. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. When we uh, look at the world right now, you just look around, news, wherever it is, social media, um, doesn't take long to see that the people in this world aren't very unified. We have a long ways to go for humanity to kind of get on the same page and get together. It just seems like all over the place, at least from the way I see it, people are not getting along. And I think all of us in this room, no matter where we stand with Jesus, we want unity. Um, but I don't think we as individuals really want to do what it takes to actually achieve unity. We can all say things like, can't we all just get along and we've got the, the motto for the city of Norman, which is a great motto. It's building an inclusive community. Sounds great. That's a good, that's a good motto to have. We see movies and, and music with this theme of unity and togetherness. But I think us as human beings, we know that once we step towards a, a relationship or a group of people to, to be a part of that unity, we realize it's really, really difficult. Because oftentimes what we define as unity is as long as you agree with everything that I believe, we can be unified. And maybe that is some sense of unity, but I think it's pretty shallow, a shallow version of unity. You think and, and hear things like, I'll be your friend, I'll hang out with you if you, if you like what I like, if you believe what I believe, if you look how I look, we're from the same background I'm from. And we see this all around. It just happens in politics, um, for sure in politics, right? And this is a struggle right now for our country in politics. You see this in sports. Just the, the Oklahoma City Thunder, three years ago, you had this guy who shall not be named leave, created some disunity. Um, even this week with OU football, you've had rumblings of disunity and discord. For those of you who have roommates, or for sure those of you who are married, this plays out oftentimes in your home, I'm guessing. Because I know I, 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 I love being unified with Nicole. I love that. I love that space where we're unified together. As long as she is seeing things how I'm seeing things in that moment, or she does things how I think they should be done, yeah, we're, we're good. But if that's not the case, it's really hard for me to be unified with Nicole because I, my unity is dependent upon them bending to what I think is right or what I want. And this isn't, necess this isn't unity, maybe a little bit, but not the way the Bible would describe it. I think true unity is when a group of people or people can, can come together for a big cause or a purpose and lay personal preferences and opinions, and lesser things aside for the good of the cause or whatever it is for that group of people. And this is easy for, we can see this playing out on paper and in movies, I think, and, and, and in TV shows, we see this playing out and it seems much easier than it is. But we all know when broken, sinful people like all of us in this room get involved in the work of unity, things can deteriorate really, really quick because we all want our way to work, 
to be heard, to be implemented. And that's just the case with human beings. And so there's some, there's some sense of hopelessness if we just let our minds go there. But the Bible defines unity differently, and the Bible gives us a pathway or a hope for true, to find true unity. And that's the good news about the scripture that we're going to look at today. The scripture gives us a pattern for how we can be unified. And it's here in Philippians, this book we've been walking through. Paul writes this section of scripture we're going to look at today. So the Philippian church would be unified. So they'd be unified. So in relationships, they'd be connected. And as a result of this unity being relationally connected, that the gospel would advance and that God would get glory. So unity leads to the gospel advancing, which leads to, the, leads to God being glorified, which is Paul's ultimate aim and purpose. So you can really boil um, unity down to relationships. That help puts, maybe puts it a little bit on the ground floor for you. Relationships with one another, more specifically relationships. So let's look at Philippians 1, 27 through 30. Paul says this to the Philippian church. Again, keep unity and, and, and relationships in your mind as we uh, go through everything we're going to talk about today. Verse 27 says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So here Paul is concerned with how they are living out their faith. He's concerned about that. And he connects it to the gospel of Christ. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So he wants, to, he wants them to reflect, not only as individuals, but actually as a body. As the Philippian church, he wants them to, to reflect. D does, does our lives reflect who we worship, who we say we follow? Do our lives reflect that? And he's really preparing them for what he is going to say next in the next passage we'll look at. See, the, the, the Philippian church is experiencing, which we've seen in this whole first chapter, they're experiencing external pressure from the Roman culture. Okay? They're marginalized. This is a big cosmopolitan Roman city, Philippi, and they're marginalized. They're just a little group of people uh, kind of pushed to the fringes of society. There's probably at least some mild persecution going on at this exact time that Paul is writing to them. So they're feeling this pressure. They're feeling this pressure to worship Caesar because in Philippi, Caesar would have been considered God. And it would have been an offense to, to kind of <coughs> speak against or go against having Caesar as the primary God. And so Paul writes about unity here specifically because they need it. They need unity in this moment. But it's not just external pressure that's, that they're feeling. It's internal as well. There seems to be, and scholars, if you really read between the lines, scholars, even though Paul loves this church, there seems to be discord, disagreement, selfishness, complaining, arguing, happening in the Philippian church. Okay, so this is a reality, and I think this is a reality just in, in, in most churches, right? Like, I don't think Paul loves this church, but these are human beings. There's human beings. And so in this passage, we're going to see Paul shift from what we've seen before as kind of a, a pastor, a friend. He's fatherly, talking about his life and how that would, would impact their life. Now he's talking directly to them about their life. And I think he goes from father-friend to actually leader mode here. 
He's exhorting them. He's encouraging them um, in these ways, in this passage that we're going to see. And don't forget this context of this, of this letter. This is probably 10-ish years after this church was started. Paul helped plant the church. So they're about 10 years in, and people are from different backgrounds, people different generations, different geographical areas, with this being a large Roman city. The culture is pressing in on them. It's kind of hard to be a Christian in this, in this environment. And they're, 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 they're fighting. There's some internal conflict. Like I said before, this is, I think, normal for churches to face, to face some of this. And especially Providence Road. This, we're not too far from this. We're, whenever you start the clock, between six and eight years into our thing, so we're not too much younger than the Philippian church. So as Paul is writing this to the Philippian church today, I pray that we would hear it as him addressing us, that this isn't a really old church that doesn't have anything to do with us. I think they're right where we are at as far as timeline, how long we've been around, and some of those things. So here are three things we're going to cover in the rest of our time so as we jump into chapter 2. What unity is not, and Paul's going to show us what unity is not, and then how to be unified, and then what this unity actually looks like. So what unity is not, how to be unified, and what this unity actually looks like. So let's look at chapter 2, verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. Okay? Gives a picture there, I think, of what unity is. And Paul here is not saying this, if there is, this is not, Paul's not doubting this. This isn't a way to say, I wonder if they have these things. That's not, it really should be translated since, instead of if there. Okay? So, since you have participation in the Spirit, since you know the gospel, since you, you consider yourselves being a loving community, since you found encouragement in Jesus. So, since you have these things, this is who you are, this is what you're professing, um, do these things. Complete my joy. Complete my joy by living in this way, being unified. And Paul's not saying that, oh, I'm sad or I'm, I'm lacking joy. We know from the first chapter that Paul is very, very joyful, especially considering the circumstances. So what this means is he's really just saying, hey, I've got a lot of joy, but I could, also, I could always use more. I'm a joyful man, but what you do affects me. So do these things, and when I hear about them, it's going to make me happy. It's going to bring me more joy, and more joy is a good thing. So being unified brings Paul a great deal of joy when he hears this about the Philippian church. Now in verse 3, he's going to tell them how, how to be unified by what not to do. Okay, so look at verse 3. <clears throat> do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Okay, this is very straightforward here. Okay, it's very straightforward. So he's, he's saying, here, here's what... Here's what to do to have unity. Now, here's what not to do if you want unity. Selfish ambition, okay? This means your ambitions, you being selfish, your, your, your purpose and your goals actually benefiting you above everything else. Looking out for number one, okay? And notice here, this is interesting in this passage, he says, he doesn't say, don't be selfish or don't be conceited. He actually says, do nothing from these things. So he's actually going a step further than just say, don't do those things. He's saying, 
And even the good things you do don't underneath be doing them for selfish reasons or don't be doing them in a conceited, self-righteous way. So you could be doing something really, really good for really, really bad motivations. Okay, so make sure you hear what Paul's saying there. So selfless ambition just means it's really very straightforward. It's having ambitions that really all are, uh, that are all about you. Okay, being that kind of ambitious person. Conceit. Some translations say empty conceit. This is someone just simply that thinks they're better than everyone else. That's what conceit means, arrogance. Okay, I think, uh, to put it more nuanced, I think conceit happens, especially in the church, when we sanctify our preferences. Like when we have a preference and an opinion and it moves to the point that now it's like sanctified and it's, it's truth. And if anybody messes with this truth or my preference, then they're going to get lashed out at. There's going to be a fight. There's going to be conflict because my preferences are getting challenged. It's okay to have preferences. We all have opinions. But when those things become sanctified, then we, we, that can create disunity. Because now our preferences are elevated above unity, potentially above the gospel, potentially above our neighbor, those things. So just to be really honest, how many of us does this describe? I'm not going to make you do it, but if I ask you to raise your hands, all of our hands should be raised in this room, especially if they're talking about motivation here. Like Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, you remember, he, he says, you, you, you may have heard it was like this or don't do this or do this, but he takes it a step further. It's like if you, yeah, you've heard that if, if murder's wrong, but if you hate someone in your heart, you're just as worse as the murderer. So this is, this is the same thing Paul's saying here. It's not just these external blatant actions here. This gets down to motivation, why we do what we do, what we feel in, in our hearts and our guts and our desires for other people and again, why we do what we do. These things like pride and arrogance and selfishness strike really at the heart of, of, of what makes this thing so difficult. And really, it's, it's pride. If you look at any issue in the world, any conflict, any strife, anything where there's disunity, it all comes back to one place, Genesis 3, right? So, so when sin came into the world, the, the serpent tempted Eve, and Adam really a part of that. And what's he tempt her with? Hey, you'll be like God. He tempts her with pride. He tempts her with arrogance. He tempts her with selfish ambition. Oh, I can be like God? I can know good from evil? I can make calls? I can be the judge of what's good and what, what's right and what's wrong? Wow, that, that sounds nice, Eve says. And Adam says, yeah, that sounds nice as well. Let's, let's do that. Okay? So this is the root cause of a lot of the issues. You even see in the world. It's the ability to, 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 to want these things, to be selfish, Okay? So Paul would say, don't be selfish. Don't be conceited. This doesn't lead to unity. Very straightforward, but I think there's some nuance in there that we have to understand. Now, verse 4 really <laughs> lays it out again. Basically says the same thing in a different way. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Okay, it says the same thing. Same, it's, it's the definition of humility, you could say. Looking to putting others' interests above your own. But it's interesting there even to say that he says he, he expects us to have our own interests. And he doesn't correct that. Like we're made in the image of God. We're valued by God just because we're human beings and he made us. So to have our own interest is not a bad thing, Paul's saying. It's not bad to, to have things you're looking out for, especially the very basic things of life. 
Okay? But he's saying don't elevate your, those things, the things you need, your basic necessities over someone else. Consider others better than yourselves or, or as significant as yourselves, these interests. And if you were to put it in identity terms, I think Paul's saying be humble servants. Have humility, but be identity, be a humble servant. I want to pause and, and just kind of let this set because, again, if, if the Philippians are hearing this read to them, this letter, and they get to this part, Paul has just laid out a heavy, like, charge here. Like, this is big stuff. This is heavy stuff. And he's tying it to the gospel going forward and the glory of God. And so they're, they're probably kind of leaning in here, listening to this letter. And I want us to kind of just pause for a little bit and, and, and kind of feel the weight of this and feel what the Philippian church would have been feeling right now. And we're going to keep reading here. And I didn't read this passage at the beginning because I wanted you to hear it fresh as potentially the, the Philippians were hearing this. Okay? Now listen to verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Okay, this mind is really, he's looking at the future, okay? doesn't contradict what we just talked about, but when he's saying having this mind, which is yours in Christ Jesus, he's about to tell us what this mind looks like, this, this, this thing in your minds to have like Jesus. And really he's going to say here, you, you become humble servants by looking at Jesus. You become her, humble servants by worshiping Jesus. You become humble servants by, by, by understanding and knowing who Jesus was. This is the way you become humble, not grinding it out, not pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, not a five, here's the five-step program to be more humble. That's not what Paul does here. He goes from this, hey, this is, this is the calling, and it's a high calling, and then he comes behind it now with verses 5 through 11. And I'm, I'm not going to be able to do justice to this passage today, which is why we're going to start with it next week once again, but I think these, these passages have to stay connected. So I'm going to go through this pretty quickly, but I promise you we're going to come back to the, this, this passage next week because it's so just thick and dense with truth. Like you're not going to find a, a place in Scripture that you learn more about who Jesus was in such a short space in the Scripture than these verses right here that I'm about to read. Okay, Before I read these, it's interesting. In the, in the original language... When this, when this passage was written in Greek, it was, it was, a, uh, it was written in, in poetry in that form. And it was actually most um, commentators, scholars think that this was actually used in early Christian worship services as a song. So you can't really feel it, the cadence and the rhythm when, when, you, when it's translated to English. It's not going to feel like that. But if you read this in Greek, it would have this cadence and this rhythm it would, it would be very singable if you just laid some music behind it, okay? So as I'm reading this, think of this as, as a worship song that they would be singing in the early church, okay? This is really meant to be sung. Verse 6, who, Jesus, from the previous verse, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God 
the Father. There's no amen there, but that deserves an amen. Amen. Okay? So this is, I mean, this is the passage when you talk about who is Jesus and what did he do, this is it. Like in the New Testament. I mean, if you're going to go anywhere, this is the passage to think about, to memorize, to meditate on, which is why we're going to come back to it this week. We're going to go through this very quickly. So I wanted, I know some of you are more maybe visual learners. I know I am. So I'm going to throw that, that uh, graphic up here. Okay. So this is basically a picture in, in graphic form of this passage. Okay. So I'm going to walk through this passage, but if it helps you to follow it here, because I'm going to go really fast. I think this is very, very helpful to just see this and being able to remember all the theology and the deep things that are coming across in this passage, okay? So let's go back to verse 6. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So back on the, we're going to be flipping back and forth here. See, upper left, preexistent glory. So Jesus was, he existed before the foundations of the earth. He wasn't created. He was a non-created being. It's why he is God, okay? So he, 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 he was there at creation. He existed before creation. So he's pre-existent God. Well, that's who Jesus is. And now you have what in theological terms called, called the humiliation of Jesus. This verse tells us that he renunciated that. We'll get into the, the theological weeds next week in that or what that actually is. But he, rena- he renounced his, his ability and his, his, his ability to be God In the flesh, he renounced that, left it in heaven, and came down, incarnated himself. Incarnation means in, incarnate means means meat, literally. So in the flesh, okay? So Jesus came in the flesh as a human, okay? So he was God, set that aside, comes to this broken, messed up world where there's a hurricane every week, two a week. You have tsunamis, you have cancer, you have people who are dying way too soon. I mean, this is like a broken, messed up world, and he renounced his glory and come down to earth. Okay, let's continue in the text. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, the form, fully man, being born in the likeness of men, born of a woman, lived like we would live. He was hungry. He was thirsty. He got tired. For 30 years, he kind of, he did nothing as far as ministry goes for 30 years. At least that's kind of the way the Bible says. And then he had three years of ministry. But for 30 years, he was a, he was a kid, grew up as a, as a normal Jewish boy, and he was a carpenter. Okay? He became a human in every way. And being, verse 8, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Back up to the, the, low, point, the low point here is the crucifixion. That's the lowest of lows. Jesus goes all the way down to being crucified. A shameful form of execution in the Roman world. Just shameful. You only only gave crucifixion to the worst of the worst. Took the shame, separated from the Father, felt all of that as a human being on behalf of sinners like you and me. Let's continue. It turns here. Therefore, God. Because of that, Paul's saying, because of that, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, when Jesus is said, 
now, but for sure one day, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One more time. Show it here. You see the, the, the move back up here? Exalted, God exalts him, and now he is sitting the right hand of God and deserves adoration, deserves worship, and deserves praise where he is right now. This is Jesus. And we do all of that, that far right side up top, to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus did all of that primarily for God to get glory. And we benefit from that because we, get, we, we are reconciled to God through what Jesus has done. Thanks, Ashley. You can go ahead and take that down. So this is our model. Jesus is our example in how to be humble servants. He gave up his position, gave up his stature, says he empties himself of his, of, of, of his godness. Again, there's, there's, that's deep, and we'll get into more of that next week. But empties himself. He's still fully God, still fully man, but he empties that God part when he could have accessed it, but he chose not to and did everything he did we read about in the Gospels for the glory of God to save sinners like you and me. So what does this look like? What does this look like? Paul says, have this mind among yourselves in verse 5. So everything we just read, that, that's the mind, the, the mindset, the, the thinking, the desires, the, the formation. Have this among yourselves. Say, Jesus is our pattern. Jesus is our standard. And we're to follow him in this way of living. So the question we should be asking ourselves really frequently, daily, is how are we kind of incarnating ourselves in our lives? So if we're, if we're followers of Jesus, most of us in here, and we're thinking, how do I, how do I be a good ambassador? How do, I be, how do I be on mission? How do I love my neighbor? It's, it's setting aside some, maybe this, 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 this privilege that we feel we have maybe in, as, as Christians, rightfully so, but we set aside our, our pride, our preferences, our comfort, our control, and we move into spaces where people need to see the gospel and hear the gospel. The same way Jesus, not the same way, but again, that's the example we have. He incarnated himself, came out of heaven, came down to earth to a people who didn't want anything to do with him for the most part, rejected him, killed him in a shameful way. So when we're out amongst the, the world, this is our model. This is how we incarnate. So how are we going to do that? So I want to put this into context here at Providence Road. What does it look like for us to be humble servants? Okay. And, and, and as I was thinking about this, the, the idea of rights come up a lot. <laughs> yes, we all have rights. But a lot of times, I know when I'm in conflict with somebody, it tends to be phrased in my mind at least as, I have the right to blank. Or they don't have the right to blank. Or I have the right. And, and yes, we all have those rights. We do have those rights. But the thing about Jesus being our example he had more rights than we ever could dream of. He was God. Yet he, 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 he was aware of those rights and then laid them down to give himself over to people who did not love him. So that, once again, is, is when it comes to rights, that is like our model. Now, now, I want to be careful because when we first hear of this, we think of like, okay, 
So not being in conflict, being united, being humble. This just means I'm not going to be like the loud, braggadocious type person. And yeah, I'm not really that person. I'm not like arrogant and all these things. And yeah, there are things with, with that, ambi- that, that external ambition, being conceited, saying hurtful things to one another, gossiping. These are clear that, yeah, these are going to bring conflict. Like this is not, those aren't unifying things to do. And I think we would all agree with that. And if, if that's you, then... I pray that God would soften your heart and and that you would process and work through those things because that will kill unity. But I think for most of us, it's a little bit more sneaky. I think we think because I'm not in conflict with anybody in Providence Road, then I'm unified. But absence of conflict doesn't mean we're unified. Like, Like we cannot be in a fight and still really not be unified. Okay? And kind of be selfish in our selfish, our comfort. We kind of remain want to remain right in the middle. I don't want to fight with anybody, but I also don't want to give my life for be- on behalf of another person. Because that feels uncomfortable, and, and I don't want to go there. So we want to live here in the middle. So some questions. Um, do you show up when, when, when Providence Road gets together? It's a very simple question. Do you, do you show up in that way <clears throat> on Sunday mornings? Do you come into this space consistently? Because something Something spiritual happens here. We get together as, as Christians, the body of Christ, and we sing in unison to, to God and we worship him. That's edifying when I hear someone else sing and when I sing and somebody else hears it, that's edifying. God is changing us by coming here on a Sunday morning. And, and I know there, there's times when you're, you're just like, I, I just don't want to come. I don't feel like it. I don't feel like coming. And we're all, we all feel those things. Here's what I say, like when you say, I don't feel like coming, who's kind of first there? It's, it's me. I don't really feel like coming. You know, I, I, I didn't get enough sleep. I'm just really busy and I'm stressed out right now. Well, then you need it more than anybody. Come. Let, let, let the body encourage you. Let, you be, let yourself be a blessing to other people. So part of this is, is showing up. Being available to other people is a way that we are kind of laid down our preferences, laid down our desires in the moment. Are you um, relationally invested in your missional community? <clears throat> Maybe first of all, if you're a part of Providence Road, are you in a missional community? And if you're in a missional community, are you relationally invested in that? So I, I, coming on the night of the week you meet, important, really good. Being on a group me or a, a text chain, that's good too. But I would say, are you relationally invested? Because not being relationally invested, you're kind of holding something back. I say, yeah, th- this part of me is not really up, uh, is available for the rest of the body, okay? Which, way is, which is kind of prideful, saying that there's a part of me that I don't think needs to be here. I don't want other people to experience this part of me. Do you have people you are in relationship with who disagree with you on stuff? Like if you're only around people, you like the echo chamber of like, yeah, yeah, I believe this, and I believe that, and, and we're awesome together. But are you only hanging around people that you agree with, and you're never getting outside of your bubble to actually be challenged and to think about things, but also being able to su- kind of submit yourselves to that relationship and still be unified in relationship but disagree on some things? That's a challenging space, and I think that we've lost some of that in our culture. I don't know if it's social media or whatever it is, but uh, do you have friends who you actually disagree with things on. And I'm not talking about a sports team, okay? I'm not, like, like you're like, yeah, we, we, you know, whatever. But no, like, I'm talking about important things, okay? I didn't want to throw any team under the bus there, so I just I stayed away from that. Um, yeah, these questions, when you start thinking about, okay? 
Because, again, absence of conflict does not mean we are unified. You look at the New Testament, Greek and Jew. Like this was a crazy, two groups of people that Paul over and over and over was trying to get unified. And he always went back to the gospel to help them be unified, that we're all equal. It's a flat playing field. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Greek, okay? So that principle applies to this. Okay, these other maybe little things that, that we uh, make a big deal. Now, you may be thinking, Jeremy, why are you making this such a big thing? Like, why are you laboring on this? Why are you making such a big, big deal of this? Because I think Paul is making a big deal of this here. Like, Paul is connecting our unity with the gospel going forth and God receiving glory. And hopefully we care about God receiving glory and the gospel going forth. And he's saying unity plays a, a very high role in that. If not, when you talk about the local church, the, the highest role in that. And Jesus even talks about this in John 17. We preached on it a few weeks ago. But the world will know me, God, by how you treat one another. And again, it's not just, hey, we're just not going to fight. If I'm really mad at somebody, I'm not going to say anything to them. And I'm just going to like suck it up and get over it. And maybe a year from now, I won't be mad at them anymore. No, like you're, 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 you're angry with them in your heart. Let's go talk about it. Let's work it out. Let's work, work towards unity in those situations. It's a matter of the kingdom going forward. Now, here's the good news. We're called like children of God. We're children of God. Most of us are in this room, I'd say. We're called to mimic the Father, mimic God. And Jesus is God in the flesh. We've seen that today. So we're called to mimic him. We're just called to look at his life and do what he did. That's, that's, that's what it means to follow him. Just like I, my almost three-year-old son, he mimics my wife and I all the time. I would say at this age, at least, this is our first one, so I don't, I mean, at this age, it seems like that's how he learns the majority of his things. He just mimics. Hey, buddy, say this. Oh, great, you can say it. Hey, here's what that means, okay? So he just repeats it, okay? And then he watches us do things, and he starts doing them behind us. And when he messes up, I don't scold him for doing something he's trying to watch us do, and he can't do it because he's three. No, it's, I have a smile on my face because he's trying. It's like, great, great try, buddy. You'll get there. Because I know there's a, there's a progress here. He's, 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 he's growing in maturity as he, as he ages. And I know he'll get there on those things. And God knows we'll get there on those things as well. But we have to be aware of these things. We have to be aware of who Jesus was. Okay? So if you're a follower of Jesus in here and you're not great at this and you mess up and you're angry at somebody right now, if you're, if you're in Christ, God has a smile on his face. He's still smiling at you. He's still singing over you. And he's saying, hey, I love you so much. And you have your identity in me and it is so secure. Why don't you go talk to that person? Because I love you so much and you're secure in my love, you don't have to worry about what that person's gonna think of you if you go and like, you know, ask for forgiveness and make that, make amends. Because now you, you, I got your back. You're my son, you're my daughter. But go have the hard conversation. Go ask for forgiveness. Be humble. So one, in closing, one aspect of the good news here is Jesus is our example. And he has given us an example here. It is clear, hopefully, and Paul is making that clear. Now, the second thing that's a little bit more hidden, we'll get into it next week, and that, that graphic did not show is the Holy Spirit. When Jesus ascended back to the Father, he sent the Holy Spirit shortly thereafter to live inside of those who would believe in him and follow him and have faith in him so that the Spirit would empower us to, be, to actually live out what he's calling us to do. 
The Spirit is God. He knows what God wants. The Spirit is inside of us, moving us and encouraging us to be humble servants. To not put our needs and our own comforts above other people. The Spirit wants to bring about sanctification and growth in and, and, and all areas of our lives, especially in humility that leads to unity. That Jesus is alive and His Spirit lives in us. So we don't, we don't walk out of here on our own and think, okay, i got to try really hard to be humble now. Now, there's some effort involved in that. We'll talk about that next week as well. There's some effort there, but the Spirit is working in you and He's conforming you into the image of Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus in here, that's what the Holy Spirit's doing in all areas of your life, including this one. So here's my, here's my closing kind of prayer thought. Like our city, going back to building an inclusive community. I think it's great, but I actually think the bar's too low. I think, I think we need to say we want to build a great city. More than being a great city than just being inclusive. We want to build a great city in Norman and in Moore and the surrounding area. The only way we're going to do that is, I think, the, to, to walk out what the Bible's definition of humility is. To be so secure in Jesus, to know what he has done, that we can lay aside some of our preferences and opinions in, in moments to build a relationship, to have unity, especially inside of, inside of these walls to have unity. So when the world looks at us, they're thinking, how are they doing that? They're different. They're from different backgrounds. They fight. They argue. But yet they still love each other. And they don't blast each other, and they don't talk about each other behind their backs, and they handle conflicts face-to-face instead of being passive-aggressive about it. They do all these things that come along with being unified. So I pray that the Spirit would, would make us into these people, these kind of people, and we're always focused on Jesus as being our example and our power to be able to live this out. Let's pour ourselves out for each other and for our city. That's, that's my prayer. Let's pray. Father, I once again thank you for your word that I don't have to, myself or Blake or whoever's preaching, doesn't have to get up here every week and try to f- come up with something unique and clever to, to say. Um, we're going through Philippians, and it's the next few verses, and so we know what we're preaching on. And we trust that it's your word, and it brings life, and it brings transformation. And so week after week, I'm thankful for your word, that I do my best to communicate it and trust now that your spirit would, would change people. So I pray as we even enter into a time of communion now, continue on with worship through song, that you would change us and you would make us more into your image. It's, in, it's uh, for our joy and, and, uh, and our good and your glory. In your son's name we pray, amen.